In early December, when the markets were hitting new highs, contrarian forecaster David Hunter predicted that the S&P would soon correct by 10%. And that's exactly what's happened this month, with his downside target of 4,300 getting hit in Monday's washout. He now expects the mother of all market meltups to follow over the next several months. But it's what he thinks will happen after that that will really blow your mind. But basically, I think we're in the bottoming area. And I think before the end of this week, we are going to start the upside that I think is going to be epic. I mean, I call it stunning. Uh, I think it will be a rally of all rallies. I've been in it for this business 48 years. I don't expect this one to be anything like anything I saw in those 48 years. So uh, when I say melt up, I'm expecting to get to 6,000 in the next three to six months, probably closer to three than six, but who knows? We're in an unusual time, as I said, tail two cities where you're going to have potentially the biggest rally we've had in decades, uh, many, many decades, and then followed by the biggest bear market since the 1929 bear market. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. Today, we welcome back David Hunter, the boldest forecaster we interview on this channel. And serendipitously, we're recording this on the morning after his latest prediction that the S&P would drop down to hit 4,300 has just come to pass. Does that now give the green light for the epic meltup he's been forecasting? And should that indeed occur, does he still really think the market will then correct by 80% after that? David, thanks so much for joining us today. I can't wait to talk about what you think is going to happen next. Yeah, hi, Adam. It should be an interesting uh, time here. Well, it should be. And look, first, kudos to you uh, for your once again eerie accuracy on your latest prediction, which was that the S&P 500 would drop to as low as 4,300, which it just did yesterday in, in yesterday's big washout and then reversal. Um, we'll get to the specifics of that in a moment, um, as well as the other bold predictions that you still have out there. Um, but first, let me ask you my customary kickoff question. What is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? Yeah, it's kind of a, um, if, I, if I look in the next few months, it's okay. Over the course of the year, um, I call this a tale of two cities. I think we're looking at a, uh, an economy that can really surprise people on the downside later on in the year. But I'm, I'm extremely bullish right now. Um, I think this correction we are going through is nearly run, has nearly run its course. And I continue to say we're, we're going to see a melt up into a secular top uh, probably in the first half of this year. And I'm calling for 6,000 on the S&P. So nothing's changed. Um, you know, this last couple of weeks, it's been uh, a bit scary to people, I think. Uh, you know, we came down pretty fast and you've seen sentiment turn very negative. As a contrarian, that's for me, a very bullish thing. So I, I, think, I think behavior is responding the way I would expect it to in this correction. And I think um, you know, the other side of the coin is that you're gonna see a melt up. 
Okay, so uh, you are a contrarian, as you just said, and you seem to be happiest when everybody else thinks differently than you. Um, last, at least as early as, as beginning of last December, when the markets were sort of back resuming their march to all-time highs, you were saying, hey folks, we're gonna have probably a 10% correction coming up here. Uh, as I mentioned, you said the S&P could go as low as 4,300. And as, you, as is usual for you, <laughs> despite having had logged some pretty um, impressive predictions earlier in the year, um, people started throwing slings and arrows at you again as December you know, saw the prices of the major indices keep going up and up and up and up. And everybody kept saying, no, David, this is the big melt up you've been talking about. You're wrong. It's not going to roll over. We're off to the races from here. And then, as you said, we went into the new year and, and prices have pretty much continued dropping all year and they're still dropping uh, pretty much. Then we had yesterday's epic uh, reversal. It was the third largest reversal um, in S&P 500, uh, at least data that we have on record in terms of washing out and then closing green for the day. And as we washed out, we blew through your 4,300 target. And then a couple hours later, raced back up from like 42 something to close over 4,400. Um, you then, well, we'll get to your comment about whether that was indeed the low or not. But first, let me ask, what gave you so much confidence back in early December uh, that we were going to get to that 4,300 number? It was a combination of things, certainly. Um, and, and frankly, it, it was not an easy call because I started in early November saying, you know, we're probably due for a you know, five to ten percent correction could be five percent in the S and P and ten in the Nasdaq, and we had a correction, but it didn't get all the way down there. Lots of things that I was expecting to get corrected didn't get corrected, and right away people jumped on it and ran again, and and you know that happened three times, and in in the process normally I'd be saying, hey, it got close enough, this would be it, but there were just disturbing things, semiconductor, one thing I watch that was not correcting. And I said, you know, those things, everybody loves them. They've got to correct. And there were just other divergences there that told me that in spite of the fact that we came down towards levels I was looking for, that the correction was not over. So it, it really spread from early November in an up and down pattern um, through early January. And I just stuck with it, I would say, and you're right, um, when we had the run up and, you know, in each time the, the year-end rally, the one in November, in, uh, earlier December, I think, each time it, it kind of ran fast and it had several days where it was straight up. And so I had a lot of people saying, you're missing your own meltup. And I, I said, yeah, maybe, but it doesn't look good to me. And, and frankly, probably the thing that tips me off most is sentiment. You know, it was just too easy for people to say the melt up, the melt up. And that's all I heard was my own forecast being spoken back to me. So um, I stuck to my guns and said, I don't think this correction is over. I'm not going to pretend to say I saw what happened yesterday. You know, I kind of said it could get down to 4,300 or 4,400. Um, but it often blows through, as you know, stops get blown and margin calls and things. So it goes beyond what you expect sometimes. Um, and yesterday didn't spook me. It spooked a lot of people. Uh, and, and I feel like we've 
we've now got the cleansing that I was looking for in those earlier pullbacks. All right. Well, so you sent out this tweet yesterday, basically saying that you think the capitulation lows were, were made yesterday. Um, markets are down today, so we'll see if that holds true or not. Uh, it's, you know, I appreciate your courage on uh, coming <laughs> the day after the washout to, to talk about, you know, perhaps a, a permanent rever or a sustainable reversal in trend here. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, yet, well, getting into the end of last week, which ended in a washout on Friday, um, you know, sentiment was almost 180 degrees different from what it had been just a month before, right? People were all of a sudden saying, oh my God, this is it. And, um, you know, uh, after you posted your tweet, a lot of people, you know, were then saying, you know, no, David, <laughs> this is now the bust that you've been predicting. Uh, it's not going to melt it from here. This is it. It's all going down, um, which I guess, you know, probably makes you feel more confident <laughs> that indeed your next uh, phase of your prediction um, is this now, this melt up. So, um, my question for you is, 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 is now that we hit 4,300, and I, you just said at the very beginning that you find yourself extremely bullish right now, is this pretty much it? Is this pretty much the green light for the melt-up to start and that we're off to the races for the next couple of months, however long you think the melt-up is going to take? Yeah, I think so, as long as you don't hold me to the next two days. I think having a Fed meeting uh, tomorrow, Fed meeting today and tomorrow that culminates tomorrow, um, uh, tells you you may see some surprises in here. I I think yesterday midday was was capitulation. You saw a lot of things really get thrown out at the bottom and a lot of volume at that bottom where people were bailing out and others were picking up cheap stocks. Um, so I think that was capitulation low, but it would not shock me if tomorrow the Fed. Yeah, I don't expect them to hike, but if they did. Um, and the street took that badly, you could go back and make um, you know, new lows. It wouldn't be you know, major new lows. I, you know, the NASDAQ could go down 100 points from where it bottomed yesterday, but I don't consider that significant. Um, and so you could go back and retest or uh, fail the test and go a little bit lower. But basically, I think we're in the bottoming area. And I think before the end of this week, we are gonna start the upside that I think is gonna be epic. I mean, I call it stunning. Uh, I think it will be a rally of all rallies. I've been in it for this business 48 years. I don't expect this one to be anything like anything I saw in those 48 years. So uh, when I say melt up, I mean melt up. A lot of people use melt up to kind of talk about every rally that we get. You know, if it, if it goes up for five days in a row, it's a melt up. I'm not talking about anything we've seen before. I think this is, you know, well, let's just look at the, the lows of, you know, say 4,200 on the S&P. I'm expecting to get to 6,000 in the next three to six months, probably closer to three than six, but who knows? Okay. Um, thanks for providing that. I was just about to ask you for your updated targets. Okay, so um, uh, 6,000 on the S&P. Um, for folks watching, we're at about... Um, well, real time, we're, we're almost close back to 4,300 right now. Um, so that's pretty, pretty extreme uh, <laughs> uh, appreciation of, of the index, if you're right, David, over the next couple of months. Um, so what's, what's so interesting, um, David, about interviewing you is 
you know, most of the experts that we have on this channel are concerned about market valuations and just market integrity and, you know, waning economic growth and all the, all the, you know, big macro issues I know you're familiar with. And, you know, they largely signal a cautionary note for investors. They say, look, you know, be prepared for more volatility, um, be prepared for markets to probably finish the year, you know, lower than where they started. Um, in general, people think that the everything bubble is, is getting punctured at this point, especially with the Fed, you know, tapering and then tightening and inflation coming into the mix. Uh, and so I would say in general, the tenor of most of the experts I have on here is pretty bearish, um, informed bearishness, but, but pretty bearish. Mm -hmm. um, you come on here and you say, hey, everybody, we're going to have the biggest melt up in my 48 year career here. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, and so you're, you're sort of sounding a bell of saying like everybody, you know, in the pool at this point in time, if you want to invest and, in, in, you know, ride an appreciation wave in the markets, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jump on board. The next couple of months are going to be amazing. Um, and I want to talk with you for a moment about you know, how you think the melt up is going to, going to actually transpire. Um, but I want to underscore for folks that are hearing your extremely bullish forecast here is that you are you probably have the most bearish forecast of anybody that I've talked to. It just comes after this melt-up. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but David, as we enter this melt-up here, um, are there sectors you think that are going to do better than others or just all boats going to rise in this tide? And is it really a moment where you think that people who have at least discretionary capital to put at risk, is this a time to really be pushing chips on the table? Yeah, I'm glad you added that last piece because I do want to preface what I'm going to say about you know, your question about what, what's going to play, et cetera, with this. Uh, as I like to say, I'm forecasting. I'm not, I'm not an advisor. I'm not advising. Um, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not telling, I'm not moralizing. I'm not saying that what the Fed is going to do is good. I'm not saying that, you know, this market is sound. I'm forecasting what I think the market's going to do. Um, you know, deciding whether that's, you know, whether it deserves to be where it's going, whether it's based on sound fundamentals, all of those things are separate. I'm forecasting where it's going. Some of that's based on psychology. Some of it's based on where we are in a secular bull market, um, you know, meaning we're at the very end and I expect a parabolic in that. So, so I tell people, everybody has to kind of decide for themselves. We are definitely at the very end of a 39 year secular bull market that will be followed in my opinion by something pretty dire. So people have to decide what their sleep at night quotient is, how close they can play this, you know, um, how, what makes it hard is that we're about to see returns that you normally would capture over maybe three years captured in three months. So distance is part of the equation. Time is the other part. So it's a very short time period. And normally you say, hey, I'm not a trader. I'm an investor. I'm not going to do that. But on the other hand, if it's, it's going to be a, a 40 or 50% move, do you pass it up and say, well, it's three months from the end. I want to get out. I don't know if it's three months or six months. But um, so, so that makes that difficult. And I, I just want to make clear everybody's going to have to decide that for themselves. What I think they need to do when they make that decision, though, 
is know themselves because it's going to be very hard to resist being in the market at the top. If you get in now, at least you're getting in when people are pretty bearish and you know things have come down. If you say, no, I'm, I'm, I can't play it that close. I'm going to stay in cash or in bonds or whatever you're going to be in. Um, the problem is psychology is such that this is going to be the most powerful emotional pull into a market that you've ever seen or at least one of them, certainly, where it's going to be very hard at, let's say, 5,500 to not be, and, and certainly 6,000, to not have a bullish story out there saying, because it's not going to be at 6,000 for no reason. There's going to be a bullish story out there. It's going to be hard to resist. Um, so I just think, want people to think forward and understand psychology drives a lot of decisions. And right now, a lot of people want to bail out because of what's just happened. At the top, you're going to want to be in. So if you if you stay out here, you better understand what your psychology, what your psychological makeup is later on. So, hey, David, if I could just chime in on that for one second, because we're going to have the the guys from uh, New Harbor, our, our endorsed financial advisor, come on. You know, after you hop off here, um, and uh, you know, folks, you've heard it many times in this channel, but one of the huge benefits that a financial advisor uh, helps offer you. Is, is sort of, you know, it, it takes the emotion out of the, the equation. They help you, you know, draft a plan and then they're your conscience as the emotions begin getting wound up to try to ground you and say, look, we came up with a plan. Do you really want to break the logic of your plan given the emotion that you're feeling right now? So, um, you know, just one more reason to be working with a professional financial advisor to help you resist the siren song that's going to be coming, like David said. And David, I, I think it's really important you mentioned the whole FOMO magnet that this you know, Meltup's going to create. And you said it's, it's probably going to be the most alluring one that we've heard to date. Uh, and of course, the danger is, is people who don't get in now find they just can't resist. They've got to capitulate, you know, when we're up at, at 6,000. And that may be the exact wrong time where you're getting all your chips into the table right as things break on down. I totally get that. It's good you underscored it. I think you want to underscore the reversal as well, which is you want to make sure that you've got some sort of ejection plan, you know, set up so that when we hit 6,000 and the party is raging, you've got the constitution to say, I am going to leave this party, right? Because the real danger here is, right, is staying too long and, you know, basically losing all your gains potentially, you know, if, if, if you get too addicted to the party and you don't leave. I see you nodding as I'm saying this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, again, we're in an unusual time, as I said, tail two cities where you're going to have potentially the biggest rally we've had in decades, uh, many, many decades, and then followed by the biggest bear market since the 1929 bear market. So, I mean, all in all potentially in one year, I could be off on timing, but if I'm right, it could all happen this year. So you really do have to understand both the reward side and the risk side in terms of you know, how you want to how you want to participate? Yeah, um, and sorry, just to mangle a uh, an aphorism here. Um, we warn people all the time about uh, don't don't get in the mindset where you're out there picking up ne uh, nickels in front of the steamroller, right? To the returns just not worth the risk. I think what you're sort of saying here is there's going to be a period where you can maybe be picking up hundred dollar bills in front of the steamroller, or maybe even diamonds in front of the steamroller. 
And then you're going to do your own math, right? Where it's like, hey, that might actually be worth jumping out there for a little while to see how much I can grab. But I don't want to spend too much time there because there is a steamroller coming. Yeah, don't, right? don't get too close to that steamroller because you may not, you may, you may trip. <laughs> yeah. Now, folks, again, you know, this is David's forecast. Um, I'm not saying whether it's going to be right or it's going to be wrong. I am saying a lot of his somewhat more extreme predictions over the past couple of years have come to pass. So um, I bring David back on here because I've learned not to discount what he's saying. So David, again, as we get back to sort of the melt up here, will this be sort of an tide rise all, rises all boats? Or are there certain sectors that you think are going to perform better than others? Yeah, I, I think, and there's a lot of people that if they are calling for a, you know, a rise to new highs or are calling for a rally, they're saying it's going to be narrowly based. I completely disagree. I think this is going to be a very broad rally. Um, I think you're going to see everything from the Russell 2000 to the NASDAQ, to the Dow, to the S&P participate. Um, I think you're going to see growth stocks participate, uh, including probably Kathy Wood's ARC. And I, I hesitate to say that because I get beat up. I don't really follow arc. So I'm not making a fundamental call on that at all. I'm just saying that I think you're going to see both growth and value participate. Um, and some of the most oversold growth areas have uh, plenty of room to run. So they may not go back to new highs, probably won't, but the, you can have a 50% run and be far below the highs in some of those stocks, uh, in some of those groups. Um, I think it's going to be um, everything from industrials and commodities to uh, FANG to semiconductors to software to, you know, I think it's going to be very broad. Um, the, um, the theme really is that, and what I think is going to drive the melt up is going to be right now, we're all worried about Fed tightening. We've been worried about Fed tightening for at least the last many months, probably since early summer. And I think we're at the crossroads of a point at which, and I've been probably the most vocal on this and the earliest on this. I said, when everybody started talking about Fed hikes and we might have three Fed hikes or four, four hikes this year, I said, you know, the bond market's doing the tightening for the Fed. The Fed may not have to tighten at all in terms of interest rates. Um, we're already seeing the economy decelerating. Uh, and I think that's going to be the surprise. Not tomorrow. I'd be really shocked if it's tomorrow. But between now and the March meeting, I think the Fed is going to capitulate and say, kind of, kind of like December, you know, Christmas Eve 2018. You know, the market sent a message, just like it did the last two days, to, to Powell. And at the same time, the economy is sending a message saying, you're tightening into what looks like an economy that's decelerating. And you may be making a policy mistake if you do that. I'm not sure they're ready to understand that yet. Uh, you know, they just turned, they just started talking about hiking rates in the last month. So I'd be really surprised if he reversed it himself tomorrow. But I do think in the next couple months, you're going to have the narrative change on the street and then the Fed follow the narrative, or at least it looked like the Fed's following the narrative of saying, you know, we're not, rate hikes are not imminent. We're not necessarily hiking in the next three months or the next 
six months, we, we we're watching the situation, but we're not necessarily hiking. And right. Hey, David, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just to add on to that. Um, so the, the bond market is already doing some of the Fed's tightening for it, like you just said, um, which is true. And then secondly, um, uh, an important point's been made on this channel recently to remember that inflation is a measurement that's year over year, right? So, um, uh, you know, CPI was 1.4 a year ago in January at 7.0 now, um, but inflation was up to like four point something in April, right? And if prices, they can stay, you know, they're probably going to stay elevated, but if they're not increasing that much, just that year over year comparison is going to start to bring the CPI down. So the Fed, I think, is going to be able to say, hey, look, inflation's actually already beginning to abate here. We don't need to be as aggressive as we thought. So that combined with the market, the, the bond market uh, hiking rates, you know, the Fed can I, I, will may have the potential to say, hey, look, you know, we, we, we thought we were going to have to do a lot of tightening here, but, but maybe we don't have to anymore. I see you nodding. Yeah, no, I don't think it necessarily means the Fed goes... 100% one direction and goes 100% the other direction. I just think it puts them on hold. And as I've talked about a few times, I think people spend too much time saying, what's, you know, what's Fed going to do? What's Jerome Powell going to do? It's really the narrative that drives the market. So the narrative of the last couple of months was obviously tightening. You know, it became very much straight consensus that the Fed was going to tighten. Whether the Fed tightens or not, it's the narrative that drove the market. And I think it will happen on the other side of this the same way. You know, whether the Fed tightens later this year or not, it's the narrative. It's what the street, what the bond market does, what the street does, or what the consensus of investors do think that's going to drive um, the market. And I, I think that narrative is going to shift from, uh, you know, this 100% focus on tightening to a focus on saying, gee, actually the Fed should be easing. And it looks like the Fed's starting to understand they should be easing. Doesn't mean they will ease. We may get to that, you know, and I only say that because of how fast this thing's going back and forth. It may just mean they put it on the tightening on hold and the street can run with the easing concept. So, um, so I do think the next few months, it's going to be a shift in thinking away from tightening towards, hey, maybe the Fed needs to ease. And, and you're right about inflation, although I will tell you, I think the Fed is between a rock and a hard place because uh, inflation expectations don't necessarily move with the CPI. And you know, you've got wages that are a laggard that will keep you know, moving towards higher wages. You've got, um, if we truly get a, an opening up, if, if Omicron turns out to be kind of the beginning of the end for the pandemic, uh, that's part of what I think is gonna drive the melt up too. It also maybe drive inflation expectations higher. Um, I have a call for $6 copper this year and probably first half of this year. If copper goes from you know, four, $4.50 to $6, that's going to be, you know, that's going to push That'll be inflation, inflation expectations up and inflation. So, so I think the Fed, the economy is the thing that I think is going to move the Fed and move the narrative towards easing. It doesn't mean inflation is going to be an easy thing to ignore. Um, but either way, I, I do think that's, that's what's probably going to drive the melt up. 
Okay, so anyways, we're in this broad-based melt-up. In some ways, that makes it easy for people, right? Because it's, it's um, I grew up in the New England shoreline and every once in a while the bluefish would run and, and you could throw just a line with a hook in there. You didn't have to put any bait on it because they were just in a feeding frenzy, right? And it's going to be sort of, it sounds like you could buy almost anything and it should do pretty well in that type of environment. Um, I do want to ask you about uh, gold and, and the gold miners for a moment, because you've been quite bullish on them. If you could repeat your current forecast for them and uh, and if you could differentiate, are, are you are you bullish on them because of this melt-up and they're just going to participate in the melt-up or are you bullish on them for other reasons? Yeah, let me, uh, I'm sorry to back up, but just, just to correct one thing, I think it's going to be a broad rally, but I do think, um, you know, the utilities and some of the defensive areas are probably going to lag by quite a bit. So it's not a matter of uh, just throwing darts. I do think there are some, some of the more defensive groups that won't perform all that well in the melt up but everything else yeah i think i think you can throw darts okay. um, in terms of in terms of uh the precious metals i think it's a um they're going to i think they're going to run with the market i don't think lots of people ask if you have to wait for the you know the so-called bust or bear market uh for them to perform and i don't think so i think they're going to be uh rallying coincident with the stock market um and part of that is because I think, you know, it took a while for me to see this, but I think a lot of what has held back the precious metals in the last year is that we have spent most of the last year worrying about the Fed having to tighten. We are going to, uh, you know, and again, not tomorrow, but we are going to in the next month move towards a narrative where I think both inflation will be playing but Fed ease will be playing. You take tightening away from the precious metals, and I think they will run and run hard. So I think that's the biggest thing. And, and at the same time, I'm expecting a weak dollar, um, maybe partly because of the Fed ease narrative. But um, so weak dollar, uh, no tightening. Uh, I think those are you know strong strong um, motivations for gold and silver to run higher. All right, and inflation um, still being a, a concern. So it's sort of like the trifecta of, of uh, you know, positive <laughs> indicators for gold. Yep, yep. Okay, great. All right, so, um, so now let's go from the melt up to the meltdown. <laughs> um, so let's, let's say things play out the way that you expect three to five months from now, S&P's at 6,000. Uh, you know, Barron's has got a headline that says, you know, uh, Dow 100,000 next, you know, <laughs> um, everybody expects that it's going to be pony uh, unicorns and rainbows forever. Uh, and then the wheels come off. So explain your thesis for this up to 80% correction. That's the last time we talked. Let, let me know if you've, you've changed your numbers at all. Yeah, my, my call is still the same. I still expect it to be the biggest bear market in the post-World War II era. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be 80%, I kind of say 70 to 80%, but I really think it could be 80%. Um, and obviously that would be a very broad sell-off to get you that kind of a number. Um, so I, you know, I had all along, and I've talked the bus scenario all, the, all along, even though I had the melt-up coming first, and I've all along said the likelihood is that the trigger for the bust uh, will be 
you know, a Fed policy mistake. That's what always seems to end cycles and create recessions. And the reason I use the term bust rather than recession is because we've got $300 trillion in global debt out there and quadrillions in notional value of derivatives. So, you know, when you add that kind of leverage into a system and, and a lot of that leverage, it's a lot higher than it was even in 2008-9, you turn something that might be serious into something disastrous. And that's why I think you can have a much larger than normal downturn accompanied by what I have said could be the world's largest, history's largest uh, global financial collapse or uh, crisis, not a collapse, but um, so you could have some big banks going under, et cetera. Um, not so much in the US, but around the world. All right, but we get into kind of a global credit crisis, sort of like we had in 2008, maybe not exactly mm -hmm. that, but that sort of right. scope of, of failure. Yes, and, and, but I, I always thought it was gonna be a Fed policy mistake. What's going on right now, and it really is you know, very recent in terms of um, you know, the Fed's ready to, to go to the tightening mode, and yet I'm getting bullish for the melt-up, is it kind of had, had me have to go back to the drawing board and say, what, what am I missing? What's going on here? And I think it's, again, it's very hard to get there if you think linear in a linear fashion. In other words, you want it nice and neat, nice and neat where you say, okay, you're gonna have the melt up, then you're gonna have tightening that's gonna create a recession or a bust and you know, the stock market will lead that, et cetera. That's still my scenario, but uh, I'm not necessarily thinking anymore that the Fed is you know, the whole story. I think it's really the bond market I'm, I'm still calling for a two and a half percent 30 year, uh, probably not immediate. I think you could rally in bonds here. I was thinking bonds are going to go back up over 2%. I think more likely now bonds may go back to 140 here in the next couple months or next month um, before the rates start rising. So the rate rise comes later in the, in the melt up and, and the Fed may then join the rate rise and start hiking rates. But again, that's a few months out. So I still think that's gonna be the story, but it's not so much, even though you have this huge rally in the stock market, it's, it doesn't mean the, the economic cycle goes up and then goes down and goes up and goes down. It's, it's really all part of the same trending towards the bust. But, um, but for a period of time, the Fed steps away from tightening and the bond market rallies. And so you got wind at your back and then, then you get to this point where you're at 6,000 on the S&P, um, inflation's even higher and the Fed does have to act. And, and the one thing I learned back in the early eighties is inflation doesn't go back in the bottle easily. I think that's the story really not for right now, the street, in other words, the street kind of fast forward to the tightening story and I think there's going to be a pause in that tightening story that gives you the melt-up. But the tightening story still comes. It just comes, you know, probably second quarter sometime later in the second quarter. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, all right. Now, so... <laughs> it's a little I, confusing. Pardon me? It's a little confusing. No, no, no. I, it, it's, it's nuanced, which I think, you know, uh, 
is comforting in the sense that you're just not putting your finger up to the wind and making a declarative statement. You've got a whole progression here. Um, all right, so um, uh, I know we're talking about a future forecast here, so there's a lot that can't be seen with exact clarity, but when we switch from the melt up to the meltdown, do you expect it to be more of an event where you know we go from six thousand on the S and P, and then a couple months later, you know we're we're down in the sub two thousand range, um, or uh, is it going to be sort of a an, a long emergency, you know, just sort of a slow grinding erosion? Yeah, I don't think I think it's in between those two. I I have said I expect that, and I could could be really wrong. It might you know might take a different pattern, but I kind of expect it to be. A little bit like the October to March 2009 period, where most of the bear market in in that 2008-9 uh, market was within that, you know, say six month period. Um, I kind of think this is going to be, you know, at least that fast, maybe a little faster. But I do think it's going to be there'll be more than one leg. In other words, it's not going to go from six thousand to twelve hundred in one fell swoop, it, uh, I hope not, because <laughs> I think that would be, that would, that would be more scary, but, but um, I think more likely, you know, you get the market down, um, you know, 6,000 to under 4,000, let's say, the Fed isn't going to be um, quiet, they're going to look and say, hey, we got to, you know, we got to do something here, the market's, you know, the market's down over 30%. And so, yes, the, the, you know, the question I always get by people is, how, how do you think we're going to get an 80% decline when you know the Fed's going to step in? You know, the Fed's not going to let that happen. And I go, it's going to happen um, faster than they can understand what they need to do. And the biggest part of that equation is that keeps it from, um, you know, being limited is that we're going to be in uncharted territory in terms of an economy and a market that's unwinding when uh, leverages through the roof to the level it is. You know, when you've got 300 trillion in debt. Um, keep in mind, we've we've grown global debt 50 trillion in the last two years. I mean, that's how fast this thing's geometrically rising. So, so I think there, even though they have, they can go back and study Bernanke, and they can go back and look at previous cycles, they're gonna be in uncharted territory and even you know, March of 2020, they're gonna be in uncharted territory in terms of the magnitude of the leverage and the magnitude and speed of the decline or the damage that's being done by all of that of the unwind. And it's not just US, it's global. So they're gonna be a bit deer in headlights initially but let's say they step in after a 30% decline, their, their first, even if they say we're pump, pumping two trillion in immediately, if, if this is as big an unwind as I'm talking, where you've got major banks failing, et cetera, in other words, it's gonna take them time to figure out what's the right size policy. They're not gonna just go and say, hey, we're putting 10 trillion in. So right-size policy may be 10 or 15 trillion. It won't happen in one step. So while they're underestimating what they need to do, you can have another leg down. So the initial 
let's I'll just throw numbers out. They may be way off. The initial two trillion might cause a 10% bounce in the market, right? Over a couple of weeks or a few weeks. Um, and then and then the thing rolls over, and next thing you know, you're down 40 or 50%. And they're going, whoa, what do we do now? So here comes another five trillion. And maybe you bounce again and, and it's still not enough. So it's gonna take them time to get to the kind of size of the magnitude of policy response that will finally bottom this thing out and, and you know set the stage for a recovery. So I, I think we all tend to think in a linear fashion. So it's like, well, you know, Fed will figure it out, they'll they'll pump money and then you go back up. It's it's not that easy when you've got real life happening around you. Yeah, and, and we just had the Wealthy on conference this past weekend where we had a number of former Fed uh, people. We had Lacey Hunt, who was a former Fed economist. We had Daniel DiMartino Booth, who was a Dallas Fed advisor, uh, and then some other long-term Fed watchers. And they're pretty much universal in saying that the Fed is, and pretty much has always been, reactive. They're, they're, they're really not you know, we think of them as, as kind of driving destiny and it's, it, they really, I mean, their, their policy does in the long run shape destiny, but in the short term, their actual efforts in general are always reacting to something and they're always behind the curve uh, in terms of what they're trying to react to. So um, yeah, they are, you know. they are a deliberative body. You want them to be a deliberative body. You don't want them, you know, being traitors. Um, and so it takes them a while to build consensus um, and, and, Secondly, they're data driven and data is backward looking anyway. So if, you know, I, I've given um, Paul kudos for how fast he responded to March, 2020. Uh, and I was pretty critical of him in the year before that and two years before that. So, um, you know, I think he's the right guy in the seat for what's coming, but man, this is gonna be something that nobody's seen before. Okay. Well, look. Let's let's put our investors hat on now. Let's actually talk about um, you know how to ride this thing, right? So everybody watching has been listening to what you've been saying, David, and, and probably oscillating between "Oh my God, that sounds amazing" to "Oh my God, that sounds horrible." Uh, but the big question that they're all asking is: Is how do I make it through this thing? A, you know, alive with my wealth intact, and B, you know, maybe better off than I am today if there's opportunity here to to you know, participate in that melt up before everything goes down. Our interview with David continues over in part two, which will be released tomorrow as soon as we're through editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to click the like button too while you're at it. And if this discussion about a record meltup being followed by a record crash has got you feeling a little unprepared, then consider scheduling a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio, keeping in mind the risks and the opportunities that David has highlighted here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next in part two of our video interview with David Hunter.